What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior to take control of those thoughts of yours, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode 31. Hard to believe. And um, you may remember last week I spoke about debt and stuff. So I've got a little bit more on that today. But first of all, a little update as we usually do. I normally tell you about the Facebook group and things like that, which is obviously called Behind the Facade Community. And um, it's the best way to get in contact with me, to send me messages and to ask me topics. And this week I had a good topic uh, asked on health and safety um from one of our members david and um uh, so i answered that over in the live i did a live video answering that question for david and um, that is often the way i'll answer questions from our um, listeners so by all means go over and check out the facebook group and uh, connect with me in there in terms of other updates i've got a good one to to tell you about us this is really uh, it's quite quite a shock to me but um You may remember last week I talked about this new book that I have co-authored with some friends. It's called Your Best Life and we put it out there. It actually went live on Tuesday. This last week's podcast went live on Monday and I mentioned it, but it was actually about 24 hours until Amazon had it listed. But when it went live, um, we were all sharing it on social media and all this kind of stuff. The thing actually has gone to number one bestseller in Amazon in under the new release section and in a couple of different categories and it's gone on to become number three in Canada number two in Australia I mean it's it's absolutely fascinating how Amazon works and if you just kind of share it out with enough people you can actually really get great traction so that is a really good book guys and in that book I've gone into some of the um some of the issues that I experienced over debt. So it's kind of related to last week's episode. But I also have a second book that I've co-authored with some people and one of our listeners, in fact, Jennifer. And um, Jennifer's book um, that I contributed a section to is called Work Life Blend. And uh, that was released on, I think it was Wednesday. And so in one week, I've co-authored two books that have been published. So I've gone from never having any books anywhere to suddenly having two in the market. So it's uh, it's kind of a strange week. And um, just want to mention that again, that book is called Work Life Blend. And you'll find it. It's actually, I don't think it's on Amazon yet. So I'm going to put a link in the uh, show notes so that you can go and find that. But one good thing about that particular book is that everything that's made um, in the book sales and stuff goes to Cleaners Foundation, which again is for, uh, it's for it's basically a charity that was set up to help parents um, that have children in palliative care. And so a very good cause and definitely one I'm happy to support. And the only other book that I want to talk about is my own book, which I am in the middle of writing at the moment. And it's coming out uh, next year. And um, it's kind of difficult writing a book yourself because, you know, there's so much to write about. You have to kind of try and pare it down because I started thinking about, geez, you know, how far back do I go and which stories should I include and which lessons should I include? And 
is there stuff that I should kind of just leave out because it's kind of superfluous. So it can be a little bit difficult to to figure out what to do. But anyway, working on that at the moment and it should be a pretty good book. And the working title is currently behind the facade. So you guys are going to like that. Anyway, let's get into the last episode where I talked about, I opened up a fair bit on my own sort of issues that I suffered when I got into some debt problems. And that was the result of the global financial crisis and the way the market dropped by 80%. And I got to say thank you to those listeners who wrote in and basically thanking me for, for talking about it and bringing it up because some of them had actually experienced it as well. And um, it's it's kind of like almost a taboo subject. You know, you don't talk about your losses. And I think that that is just the wrong way to go about it because we're all here on earth. Uh, you know, none of us are infallible. We're all here to try to do our best. And some people are going to make a mistake. You're going to drop the ball. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It's, it's how you kind of survive, basically, how you get on with it. And, um, you know, there's always another day whenever you've made a loss, you've just got to remember this is just a temporary situation, that it does not define the rest of your life or your rest of your career. You simply get up, dust yourself off and keep going. And that is something to remember. One of the things that um, I mentioned in last week's episode was in, in my own case, it was the reason I kind of lost um, so much on in, in the previous kind of crash was because I kind of lost focus and I lost some of the discipline that I talk about on this show. And I like to, you know, remind you guys about the importance of patience and discipline. And the reason is because I just don't want you guys to suffer the way I suffered. Um, you know, it really does put a huge amount of pressure on you. But it's not just me who suffered it. Like, you've got to understand the entire market suffered from this. Certainly the entire Irish market. And I thought I just wanted to kind of reinforce that point this week is that at the time we, the, 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 you know, the entire country was living in a debt fueled bonanza. And I mean a bonanza. The whole country was basically in this euphoric party kind of state and new car sales were at the highest ever. Property prices were going through the roof. Credit card uh, debt was at an all time high. Nobody thought anything about, you know, having hundreds of thousands in additional debt because you kind of just thought, sure, the house price will increase and that'll just knock it off, you know. And though even the wealthiest businessmen in the country, the kind of guys that we all looked up to, guys that had spent 20 years in the rich list, um, within a couple of years of the global financial crash, they were filing for bankruptcy. So guys that literally had been at the top of the, you know, the Sunday Times rich list or, you know, these lists that come out. Guys that had spent 20 years on that list, you know, one of the most, you know, some of the most uh, respected businessmen, you know, guys that would have um, controlled companies with you know, tens of thousands of employees and stuff, totally bankrupt. And that is because they lost the head and they allowed debt to become something that basically took control of them and they had to live up to it and guys would have butlers and private yachts and all this kind of stuff and all of that stuff was paid for with you you guessed it debt and the the problem is is that along comes some sort of a crash nobody expects it and that's the end of the party and the you know the banks come looking for that money that you've taken and um 
I just thought I might go into some of the tricks that were actually employed. I saw this uh, with my own eyes back in the day and I had a couple of friends that were kind of high flyers and, you know, much, much wealthier than me and living a very, very lavish. I mean, I thought I lived a good life. These guys were on another planet compared to me. And some of the stuff that they were doing, these guys were building big apartment schemes with you know, hundreds of apartments, say, or office buildings, like really, really big stuff. And they would be borrowing tens of millions from a bank in order to build this this block of apartments or whatever it was, like huge schemes of apartments. And one of the things when you're borrowing money, um, as you'll probably all find out, is that there's a there's certain rules that the banks employ. And there was back in those days. Today it would probably be even more strict but the way it is in those days was that you needed to have a certified quantity surveyor to actually certify the payment requests. So you, you don't just go and say to your bank, right, we need 100,000 this week. You would actually have to provide all this paperwork and your quantity surveyor would have to review it. And he would go and say, right, the construction stage is at this point and all of the amounts of money that we are looking for now are actually, you know, we've reached that stage. And what the bank was making sure was that you were not getting ahead of yourself because the banks know that people abuse the situation as well. And, you know, as an example, say you've reached a certain stage in your development and you need 200,000. But you've also kind of think to yourself, you know what, I'd love to get a new car. So you decide to make it 280,000 so that you can pay 80,000 to the bank, get your car and then, you know, you get your car nice up front. And who's going to know because, you know, the construction project is, is in, in the millions. And so all you're doing is just getting a little bit of an early payout. Now, that is what these guys were doing. And these the, this guy, the problem is, is that the quantity surveyor is paid by the client and the client is the guy asking them to do this. And so they would be certifying, they would be sending in certified payment requests that have included like a brand new Ferrari or, or an Aston Martin on it. And um, that was how it was being done. These guys were getting payouts long before the building was complete. They hadn't necessarily made a profit yet, but they kind of, they were so, the assumption was that this was going to make, you know, lots and lots of money. And so they just wanted to get paid upfront nice and early. And fast forward a couple of years into the recession and these guys were completely bankrupt. And these would be guys that would have had helicopters and mansions and all that was gone. And it all boils down to just pure lack of discipline, lack of patience. And if you guys go back to episode number 20, you will find that I talked about a thing called cognitive bias. And it's it's all covered in that episode, actually, a lot of this stuff. Continuity bias, and that is when nobody expects that the party will come to an end. And that is exactly what happened. Everyone was there. They were basically assuming that, you know, the the raging market that we were all living in would just continue to rage on and that there would be no kind of end to it. And that, you know, you would finish out this massive project and the tens of millions that you expected to make, you would make, and then you'd plow into the next project and so on and so on. And that was continuity bias. You just thought everything would continue. And as part of that, you have this thing called present moment bias. And that is where you prefer to actually take the cash out 
now to buy that car now because it's in the present moment rather than wait until the project is finished have the patience have the discipline to just sit back finish the project be very careful make sure you know the car that you've got is perfectly fine you don't need the brand new one and uh, you might convince yourself that you deserve it but you just don't need it right now and you may you have should wait until the project is complete and then pay yourself then and that is the patience and discipline that I kind of preach you got to get control of your mind now the mind is incredibly powerful and I am obsessed with finding ways to tap this and um, as I announced in last week's um, episode I made this public declaration that at 8 p.m. on Friday I was going to start a thing called the 4x4x48 challenge and this is a sort of a physical challenge that was inspired by a man called David Goggins and I'm sure many of you are aware of who David Goggins is and he has a book out there, a best-selling book called Can't Hurt Me and I'm in the middle of reading the book and it's really quite interesting about the mind and the power of the mind and the ability to overcome pain and you know discomfort and all this kind of stuff and one of the things that david goggins talks about is the 40 percent rule and that is that at any time all of us out there are really just out putting out about 40 percent of our capability and often the time we think that the 40 percent is the maximum that we can put out or maybe you kind of think okay i can do 40 percent when i go to 60 percent you actually feel that you're now at the maximum output that you couldn't possibly do anymore. And he went on through all of his kind of endurance events and things like that to prove that you can actually go so much further, but your mind starts playing tricks with you and tries to tell you to stop in advance of that. And um, so anyway, I planned to have my own challenge, do this four by four by 48. And what that means is that you start running four miles at um, whatever time it is and then four hours later you run another four miles and then four hours later you run another four miles and so on and so on and so on every four hours until 48 hours has passed and you've run 48 miles now in my case what I actually did I kind of screwed it up a little bit because I planned to start uh, I announced that I was going to start on Friday at 8 p.m. Uh, but then when I actually checked my diary, I realized that I had a clash um, on Sunday and so I needed to move it forward. So what I've actually done is I moved it to Thursday at night and I did this on Thursday after I'd already done a big exercise session that morning. So I got up in the morning, did four and a half mile run. Then I came back and I did this big workout uh, in the house. And so I was pretty drained and went off, did a full day's work, came home, have dinner. Then I was sitting down with my notebook out and I said, oh, geez, I've got to actually start this thing tonight. I can't wait till Friday. So at midnight, I put on the running shoes and I ran out the door with this headlamp and these kind of uh, lights around my ankles to kind of try not to get hit by a car. And at midnight, I was running the streets for four miles and um, it was actually it was great it was very peaceful and uh, and it was like a lovely clear night but it's super cold I mean it was bitterly cold and um, I managed to finish the four uh, miles it took me about 40 minutes or thereabouts came in 
you know, dried myself off, got into bed and about three hours later, maybe two and a half hours later, you're getting out of bed and having to go and do it again at four o'clock in the morning. So went again at four, did another four mile run. It took me about 40 minutes, maybe a little bit slower, 42, 43 minutes, whatever. I actually did the entire thing on my Instagram story. Uh, so if you guys are not familiar with my Instagram account, maybe just check it out. Gavin J. Gallagher. And um, at, at this stage, it's actually probably running out of the 24 hour thing. But so I did midday, then I did 8 a.m., I did midday, I did 4 p.m., I did 8 p.m., midnight, 4 a.m., 8 a.m., and at the end of 48 hours, and then if you include that workout I did that morning, I actually did two full marathons in under three days. And so, like, for me, I'd done a marathon years and years ago, and it was, it left me in bits, and my legs were really, really destroyed, and yet here I've been able to go out and do two marathons in the space of three days and so it's quite amazing how the mind kind of works and how the body can kind of react just depending on the way you think about it and so one of the reasons I wanted to just you know I'm not kind of here to brag about my exercise regime I actually the reason that I brought this all up is mainly because I just think it's again part of the training of your mind and the fact that just having that ability to kind of put yourself into uh, you know, a sense of discomfort. And I can tell you, I did not enjoy going out running at midnight. I did not enjoy getting up with two hours sleep and sort of plodding along out on the pavement at 4 a.m. It's not a pleasant thing at all. But I think, you know, you kind of have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And all of us live a little bit too we're, we're all getting a little bit soft in this day and age we're all used to things being kind of handed to us and everybody goes in i mean i was in starbucks today and got you know i was looking up at the list on the wall and you've got your frappuccino and you've got your salted caramel you know this and that and all this kind of stuff and you kind of think to yourself you know if you go back a couple of years like none of this stuff nobody did any of this kind of stuff and we're all just experiencing this kind of consumerism where everything is just you know there's a choice everywhere you don't have to go out and hunt you don't have to do anything we all just live this thing where everything is provided for you and you just pay over a bit of money and i just think that you know you gotta force yourself to kind of turn the clock back a little bit do do things that are tough uh, reinforce your discipline and basically try to make yourself kind of unbreakable since we are on the topic of cognitive bias in this episode i thought sure why don't i go and share some more of these if you go back to episode 20 i covered uh let me see what did i cover i covered framing bias which is also known as the authority bias and that was the one the story that i talked about the bin man and the businessman and then we, we got into confirmation bias and that is where you're looking for information that confirms something that you already want to be the case uh, continuity bias that's obviously where we ignore all risks because we assume that everything is just going to continue on as it has been i talked about the availability cascade and that is where that's how this euphoria that we all ended up in in ireland was created because you just hear so many people talking about this amazing market 
that you start to believe it and you don't question it yourself. You just you, you just buy into the euphoria, basically. Um, another thing is survivorship bias. And that is the old rule of, you know, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Oh, you know, I want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, you know, you think that start your company and you'll be a billionaire by the time you're 30. And most people don't realize that, you know, for every thousand companies that are started, one of them, uh, you know, might get to be that, you know, well, let's be more realistic. One in a hundred thousand companies, there's probably one that could has the chance to become Facebook. Everything else is going to fall over and, you know, just basically plod along and it's not going to be. But you you automatically look to the heroes. You know, you look to the guys like Mark Zuckerberg or Brian Chesky or any of these guys, you know, the guys that started, uh, you know, um, Airbnb or Instagram or you know, Snapchat, all of these guys are young guys and they're out there in the public domain. And so people see a lot of them and they kind of automatically buy into that whole thing that, you know, you can be a visionary. And on that note, actually, I thought I'd just comment the sad news that I read today that Tony Shea, who is the guy that founded Zappos, and he wrote a fantastic book that you guys should definitely try and find. It's called Delivering Happiness. And it's the story of Zappos, the and which is a shoe delivery business, a little bit like it's been basically bought by Amazon for a billion. So the guy was a billionaire, um, 46 years of age. He's not actually too much younger than me. And he uh, he, he built this company up, sold it to Amazon for a billion. And today he died of um, injuries that he sustained in a house fire. And so very, very sad moment and um, like the guy was a true visionary and you should definitely go out and buy his book anyway back to the cognitive bias in the last in, in episode 20 i also went into present moment bias which i've covered today and then there's also restraint bias and that is your the tendency to believe that when you have all this money dangling in front of your nose that you will be able to resist the temptation that you'll have the restraint and that does not happen to be the case. And then finally, disposition bias, I mentioned, and that is where you never sell your losses. And, um, you know, that is I go into the property and, you know, you're selling a property and you sell the one that hasn't lost money. You sell the profitable one rather than the loss making one, even though the sensible option might have been to sell the other one. So today I'm going to cover two or three extra ones and then I'm going to call it quits. So today's going to be a short episode, primarily because I'm absolutely destroyed after running two marathons and I need to I need to just relax this weekend and build up my energy for next weekend. I'm actually going to be interviewing a guy called Aaron Block this week. And Aaron is a venture capitalist based in New York City and he runs a company called Metaprop. And they are a huge prop tech accelerator and hedge fund, well, not hedge fund, venture capital fund, and some of the most exciting companies in the whole prop tech space are being kind of um, helped along, accelerated with, through with the help of Aaron. So he's going to be a really interesting guy to talk with. And so that is what I'm kind of building up my energy for. But before we close out today's episode, let me give you a couple of other um, biases that you guys should be aware of. Number one is anchoring bias. 
And the anchoring bias is a tendency to hold on to the first piece of information that you ever come across. Um, and so, you know, it was obtained by you. And when you, let's say, for example, you're looking at buying a property in a certain area. And so you open up Google and you take it out and type in this location and up it pops. And whatever you read there and then in that moment, that is often anchored in your mind as the most relevant data because you read it first. And this is something that you have to kind of be aware of because one of the reasons why Google always uh, gets so much money from people trying to rank first is that whatever you read first is tends to be the one that stays in your mind. And so everything else falls by the wayside. And the cognitive bias on that is that you obtained this information, say it's a piece of data or a piece of information on this location, you will always use that information as if that is like de facto information, that this is a baseline and that everything else that you find afterwards should be compared against this first piece of information. Now, what you've got to do is you've got to actually go back and review the source of the information. Like, is it reliable? Why did you, you know, you happen to find it first, but does that make it the most reliable or the best piece of information? It does not necessarily do that. So is it reliable? How do you know it's reliable? Have you challenged any of the data? And are you just immediately falling for it hook, line and sinker? Or are you, you know, giving it some sort of due discipline or due diligence and actually kind of looking into behind the numbers and just making sure that this thing, thing has been rigorously researched? Don't just immediately get that anchor bias and think that, OK, everything else now is going to be based on this. And I actually suffered from that when I bought my property in Spain. And the information came from the sales guy, of course, and that is how many of us make these kind of mistakes. The sales guy presents you the information and then you go away with that information. And then anything you read subsequent to that, you compare against the information that you already have from the first time you heard it. And um, it is a problem. Now, very, very similar to anchoring bias, and it's actually kind of interrelated, is a thing called availability bias. And that is the tendency to rely on information that is easy to get or find. And that goes back then again to the to the Google analogy. And that is why everybody wants to have the first um, page ranking on Google. So because very few people ever look any further than that. And so if you are, say you're a person who is selling properties or something like that, if you're the first rank for that area, then you're probably going to clean up and get them all because people will go to you. It's part of that availability bias. You're the person supplying the information first and therefore that's the most important thing. And then people will take that availability bias and it turns into an anchor bias. The next thing is choice supportive bias. And that is, I suppose you could say it's related similarly, but it is a reluctance to entertain information or data that does not support the decision you have already made. Mm. And that is something to be careful about when you are reviewing property deals or analysis or doing any kind of research on something is that try to make sure that you haven't already made up your mind before you've actually. Now, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're just doing research here. 
if you've already decided that you want to buy this property. That is something that I've fallen for for sure. It's there's a thing called the ostrich effect. And that is, you know, the head in the sand, ignorance is bliss. The reality is, is that if you've decided on doing something, you don't want to hear any more negative information on it. And so you'd prefer to not listen to something negative because it doesn't support your decision. And so if you saw something that said, you know, this area is going to collapse in value, you might actually think, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. And, um, you know, that is the choice supportive bias. Just be careful of that because I have definitely fallen for that over the years where you see a piece of information later and you decide that you're going to ignore it or you decide that, you know, I don't I don't I don't agree with that. And that's because you've already made the decision and you don't want to feel foolish and you prefer to live in ignorance rather than that. The next one that let me have a look, which courtesy bias? Yeah, this is a good one. Courtesy bias. And that is something that you guys should be aware of. Do not fall for the um, for the old trick of asking somebody, you know, if you ask a family member for some advice, they may be careful to give you an answer that you don't want to hear. They don't want to offend you or they don't want to upset you. And so there's always a courtesy in people's response. And this is one of the reasons just turning the attention to the the US election, for example, you had a lot of people expecting Donald Trump to lose the election in a kind of a landslide loss. But the guy ended up getting like 70 million plus votes, which was greater than the win that um, Obama had had a couple of years before. And so when you sort of see that, you kind of go, wow, there is that many people out there supporting him. How did the pollsters not figure this one out? And that is primarily because of a thing called courtesy bias. And that is where you don't want to offend the person on the other line. And, you know, they're asking you questions and you get the impression that they don't want to hear a certain answer. And so you steer away from that. And you might find that when you ask somebody for some advice about in a certain area, if they get the impression that you don't want to hear bad news, they're not going to tell you bad news or, you know, they're just going to avoid anything that's going to possibly cause you to be upset or something like that. And then the final thing to go into is the, ah, yes, okay, the sunk cost fallacy. And this is another cognitive bias that we all tend to fall for. And that is when you have paid money for something, then rather than accept that you've made a loss or a silly mistake and, you know, you're going to make a loss here, you actually keep on putting money in to avoid, you know, crystallizing the loss early. So an example of that is back when I was playing in the stock market, I, you know, there's a thing called CFDs, they're called contracts for difference. And when you go in, say if you put a thousand, you know, pounds or sterling or whatever, if you put a thousand into your account, you can go out and spend up to 10,000 on the shares. So you could leverage your, your, your cash by about 10x. And so I went off and I did this on a big scale and I bought like company shares in a, in a gold company, I think it was. And they went flying up in value, like hugely, hundreds of thousands in value. And I was, so I was thinking to myself, oh yes, I'm this great, you know, genius investor. I'm going to make millions here. And so I kept the shares and they kept going up and up and up. And rather than 
sell them i just kept i said i said no i'll wait till they hit a million and then i'll sell them so first of all biggest mistake there completely arbitrary number like why did i think that it, they should stop at a million why not continue go like why why stop at 900 why not stop at 1.1 you know coming up with a figure just plucking it out of thin air makes no sense whatsoever and that was the first mistake that i made but when the market sort of turned and it started to fail and they started going down there's a thing called a margin call and that is where you actually get asked to put more money in to support your investment and even though i had been so you know up at one stage and now it had turned it had turned around and, and reversed and it had gone back down now it was actually costing me money and rather than admit that i'd made a mistake rather than admit that i should have gotten out when i was making all that money i was actually now pumping more money into this share in order to try to basically continue it's called sunk cost because you're throwing more money in you're sinking this the cost is just continuously going in and you think that you're going to sort of somehow save this investment and it'll turn around and it'll go straight back up to the eight or nine hundred thousand profit that i was waiting for so i thought sure yeah of course i should i should invest more money in this and keep on putting money in and keep on putting money in and the problem is is that that market just kept going down and in the end i think i kept on getting calls i remember i was it was my birthday and i was lying by the pool playing with my kids and they were only very young at the time and i was getting these phone calls and it was a guy stock broker stockbroker kind of guy all right gavin yeah the the market's taking a bit of a tank today we're going to need you to transfer forty thousand into your account and um, by close of business today and you know it's my birthday and i'm there on the beach and i'm thinking to myself are you kidding me this guy wants me to go now i gotta go and call people and make transfers and do this and do that and it was the most depressing thing and i can remember just telling him you know what just offload the whole bloody lot and just you know get me out of this investment but that was after the sunk cost fallacy i had put i had probably put a hundred thousand into trying to support that investment and it just kept going down and down and down so failure to admit when you're wrong that is one of the biggest mistakes that you can make and that whole sunk cost fallacy is a real problem that you should be very conscious of because a lot of people do that and when you invest in property you can also make that mistake because you can buy a property and you can think to yourself that the that it's a you know it's a great location and when you and when you renovate the house you'll, you'll get your money back but you might have made a mistake so just be careful that you don't put further money into it and find that you've just lost additional money that you maybe didn't have to lose and um, just rather than admitting it uh, that you made a mistake that's where you just draw a line and just say right that's it i've lost money and i bloody well have to just admit it to myself so anyway guys look that's it for episode 31 of behind the facade thank you so much for listening i'm going to put a couple of things in the show notes those links to those books and stuff like that um, definitely go and check out the books um thanks sorry it's a short episode this week but just that marathon the double marathon in a weekend is is hard going and well it is for me maybe there's super athletes out there who find no problem doing that kind of stuff but i suffer in my legs and 
I need to go and have an early night. So if you found this episode useful, my number one ask, as always, is to leave a five-star review uh, or a rating and uh, over on the iTunes platform and just really try help me get the podcast noticed by the algorithm. Um, uh, if you have any questions or topics, again, the best way to do that is to connect with me in the Facebook group behind the facade community or alternatively to let me speak English here or alternatively, you can find me on social media using my handle Gavin J Gallagher. And lastly, if you want to stay up with me, uh, the various events and stuff that are going on, you can sign up to my newsletter on my email list over at gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. All right, guys, hope to catch you all next week. Until then, go make it happen. Mm-hmm.